0: Hi, guys, and welcome to the Healthified podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McLaughlin, holistic health coach, writer, and wellness entrepreneur who has, for over 15 years, delved deeply into my passions of nutrition and health. Before we get started, this episode of Healthified is brought to you by our sister company, Gratified, a natural foods company I launched in order to make a more impactful change in the packaged food space. Our products are made with real food ingredients and blood sugar balance in mind. For a discount off of our products, visit gratisfied.com and use the promo code Healthified at checkout. Today's guest is Dr. Heather Moday, allergist, immunologist, and functional medicine practitioner. We recorded this episode on the day of her book launch, which was special. It's titled The Immunotype Breakthrough, Your Personalized Plan to Balance Your Immune System, Optimize Health, and Build a Lifelong Resilience. The global pandemic definitely brought to light the importance of our immune system, and Dr. Moday breaks down the information in a comprehensible and enjoyable way. She does a great job of providing as much of an individualized approach possible with having you identify your immunotype and then the steps to take across her five pillars of health to rebalance and heal. In our conversation, we discuss inflammation, what it is, the various types, and how it is connected to many of the health issues we hear about, the four different immunotypes, what they mean, and what are those low-hanging fruit action items anyone can do to optimize their immune system, the resistance she sees with her patients, and her advice for staying motivated and creating change to achieve your health goals, gut health, intermittent fasting, and what they have to do with boosting immunity what you can do to take control over your health and be your own advocate. Let's head to our chat. Hi, Heather. Hi, good morning. How are you, Sarah? Great. Thank you so much for coming on the Healthified podcast. It is such an honor to have you on.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah. And, um, we are recording this on the date of her book launch, which is very exciting. And we're going to get all into her new book, which I will introduce in a second. Um, but for those of you listening, this is Dr. Heather Moday. She is a board certified allergist and immunologist as well as an integrative and functional medicine physician. After years of working as an allergist and immunologist in private practice, she completed a fellowship in integrative medicine at the Arizona Center. Of Integrative Medicine in Tucson and became certified by the Institute for Functional Medicine. She is a part of the Mind Body Green Collective, the wellness website's curated group of top 50 experts in the wellness space. Through her practice, the Moday Center, she works to empower people to reclaim their health through comprehensive lifestyle programs, which focus on reversing chronic disease as well as creating optimum wellness. Her book, The Immunotype Breakthrough Your Personalized Plan to balance your immune system, optimize health, and build lifelong resilience is released today, December 21st. So congratulations on that.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, it's really funny. I was reminded this morning that it's the winter solstice as well, yes. mm-hmm. which, um, you know, I may not be in tune to all the um, astronomy and astrology, but I think that that does mean some sort of rebirth, right? Some sort oh, of yes. some newness in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was pretty, that was a sort of a neat coincidence i thought yeah,
0: for sure i 'm big on that, and I think um, it 's even more aligning that this we 're entering with the winter season, which is kind of mm-hmm. the season that makes us um, think about our immune system the yeah, most, at least for, for me sure. personally um, so I did read your book, and you I must say just acknowledge you for making. Um, that information so comprehensible and your language is so enjoyable and even you know light and humorous at points Mm -hmm. which is (laughs) so great for such a complex and dense subject matter Um, so I would encourage um, everyone to go seek that out but just to kind of get this conversation started could you tell us a little bit more about your background story and how you got to where you are
1: sure you know as you mentioned sarah i um i trained in conventional medicine i went to medical school and got an md and initially um, did internal medicine you know big hospital setting but i immediately did a fellowship um, fellowship training is usually a few years after your residency and decided to um do allergy and immunology and uh, mostly because i was really interested in the allergy part um but you know you have to you, you have to learn everything about <laughs> as much as possible about the immune system, right? To understand the concepts, and um, so I worked in sort of a traditional setting in allergy in a private practice for about ten years, and you know um, it was it was fine, it was good, it was a it was a stable job, and I liked my patients, and uh, but I what I realized is as I was going through there is that we we really didn't have a lot of answers for people, and. Also, I wasn't really using a lot of my skills as like an outside-the-box thinker or being creative. You know, really, I just found myself, as most doctors, you know, find themselves these days, is, you know, sort of drowning in paperwork and prescribing a lot of mm-hmm. medications. And so, you know, I just found that to be very frustrating because in my own life, that's not how I personally viewed health um, and taking care of yourself. I myself would do other things, you know, like I was very interested in nutrition. I was just fascinated with mind-body connection. I just really, you know, read about all this stuff on the side, and yet I yeah. wasn't really able to practice it. Um, mm-hmm. So that led me to doing a fellowship um, with the Arizona Integrative uh, Program, and uh, I just loved it. And I really felt like I would found my tribe. And And so I just sort of kept going. Um, I continued doing training with the Institute for Functional Medicine, which is a little bit more in-depth biochemical um, evaluations, but also a very holistic sort of view of health. And after a few years, I just realized like I couldn't, I really, I couldn't stay in the position that I was. I had to do something different. And so I left uh, my job and I I created my own practice, uh, which I still have. Um, Currently I'm working virtually, but, you know, I was able to impart all of this knowledge that I learned after medical school and after mm-hmm. residency and fellowship. And it was just like immense what I learned. Um, and it really just changed the way that I work with people. You know, I work with people on trying to figure out why they're sick or why they're having symptoms. Um, there's usually more than one why. And then working with, you know, our environment, our habits, our food, everything to to fix a lot of the underlying imbalances. So, you know, that's, that's sort of in a, a nutshell what I do now.
0: Yeah. And as a holistic health coach myself, I firmly believe that, you know, health and the path to feeling well is definitely a holistic 360 degree approach. So was there a a point, an aha moment, um, a pivotal point, if you will, in your story where you just kind of decided to take that more functional holistic approach, or was it more kind of like a slow, this is something you'd always be interested in. And it took you a while to sort of make that shift.
1: Um, I think it took me a while to make that shift. I think it was a combination of being, you know, discouraged, bored, um, Mm -hmm. really feeling like I wasn't living up to my potential. Uh, if, you know, just I had sort of lost the the passion for medicine. Um, also, one of my um, one of my colleagues that I was working with at the time was diagnosed with ALS, which mm. you know, is a terrible disease to have. And you know, it, it, just seeing that, and you know, at that time I didn't know a lot about sort of the interventions that one could take for chronic neurologic disorders. We know so much more now. this is, you know, we're going ten years back. Um, but you know, I, I did think about that, like, you know, were there some things that he, he could have done or anybody could have done to to maybe help him? And that was discouraging to me. And I think I also saw that as, you know, you never know how much life you have and mm-hmm. why stay in a job that you're unhappy with and you feel is not fulfilling you. I mean, a lot of people stay there because they're scared or they're stuck or, um, and I just decided to take the a leap of faith. And I think, it was, it was a bunch of little things.
0: Yeah. I love that. And and given the place that you are in now, you know, having published this amazing work and having done this work, um, for your career, I think that when you take a leap of faith, you know, the universe kind of has that, that net underneath you. So that's very inspiring. Yeah. Um, so if you could back up and just kind of explain what immunology is, um, and I know that you said that you, were interested in kind of the allergy side, but um, how you really got interested in it and why you decided to focus on it for your career.
1: Well, you know, I think it was something that underneath it all, I I didn't realize how much I liked immunology when I was Uh first uh, training. Um, I liked the clinical outcome uh, part of it. So I was interested in rheumatology, which is you know, really more of the study of connective tissue diseases and things that can go wrong, but it's all it's all based on mostly autoimmune dysfunction, which is mm-hmm. one one of the imbalances, right, of our immune yep. system, and then allergies, of course, is another imbalance, sort of in a different direction, and um, so sort of those two together, you know, really sort of put me on this path, and you know, and then when I started in with functional medicine, I realized that almost all chronic disease <laughs> has to do with imbalances or chronic inflammation, mm-hmm. uh, which is started obviously by the immune system. So in the end, really, it's, it's all about your immune system. It's everywhere. And, um, you know, as I describe in the book, it's, it's something that a lot of people don't really think about. I think now they think about it more, but it wasn't part right. of anybody's real lingo But I would say over the past 10, 15, 20 years, you know, doctors from all, you know, or health practitioners from all sort of, uh, segments of, of medicine, whether they're GI doctors or cardiologists or neurologists, they all realize that inflammation plays a huge role in the beginnings of disease, regardless of what system of the body it's in. So immunology or the immune system is really like the, it's It brings everything together. It's sort of the, it's the underlying like root system of, Mm -hmm. of everything. Yeah. It's, you know, I think it's, it's fascinating and uh, so much more that we need, that we have to learn about it.
0: Yeah. And that was one of my questions actually, because, you know, you cited some, you know, for lack of a better word societal ailments right the Mm -hmm. um, obesity diabetes Alzheimer's ADHD depression arthritis etc and Mm -hmm. I understand and I think it's um, becoming a more mainstream understanding that the body is connected throughout these intricate systems right Mm -hmm. but I don't think I would have before reading your book kind of pinpointed those issues back to, um, your immune system. But then when you talk about inflammation, you know, at the root cause of it, is that what's going on here? And for someone who might not be as familiar with what inflammation even is, can you explain that and the different types?
1: Sure. So inflammation is a necessary process that occurs every day in our bodies. Mm -hmm. So, and it, and it can be triggered by many different things. It doesn't have just one playbook. Right. Right. <laughs> There's not one, you know, inflammation occurs because of an infection of any kind. It can uh, be caused because of because of trauma and the need for tissue repair. It can be caused by damage from toxins or foods or anything that um, our body sees as like a threat or something that Damages our body in some way that then sort of recruits our immune system to repair because our immune system is there for multiple different reasons. But if you look at it, it's real core, it's to protect us from things that might damage or kill us, and then also to repair and, um, you know, sort of heal Mm -hmm. any damaged uh, part of our body. And so those are the two things. And inflammation describes you know, a complex uh, sort of series of events that occur in order to make this happen. And so there's recruitment, all different kinds of cells, there's changes in blood flow to an area that's injured, there's different cells that come in, they create uh, different, uh, what are called cytokines or messengers to recruit Mm -hmm. other cells. Um, You know, so, you know, you can create fever, um, you can create swelling, all these different, Things that happen are part of this inf- inflammation response, which in the end, the end goal is to heal it. Right. But then there has to be resolution. You know, all of those cells need to go back to where they came from. There needs mm-hmm. to be healing that goes on, and things need to get back to what we call homeostasis or balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times we don't know when this is going on. Like we don't, we're not informed of when inflammation is going on in our body unless it's something big, like you know, you break an ankle or you cut your you cut your arm or hand or you know you have strep throat and you have a high fever then you're going to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. But most of the time we don't even know when inflammation is going on because it's just sort of, you know, it goes on and goes off, it goes on and goes off. So mm-hmm. it's just part of the day-to-day job of our immune system to do this.
0: Mm. And you know, in your book you talk about this idea of it's not as straightforward as just quote unquote boosting our immune system. So the inflammation that we experience, not necessarily the acute, like spraining your ankle, but more of the chronic, Mm -hmm. how much of that is genetics versus lifestyle? And does genetics play a role in the strength of our immune system and how much it can weaken or we can strengthen it?
1: Yeah. I would say that for the most part, um genetics don't play a huge role in inflammation. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, genetics really just is a, it's just coding of genes and DNA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but then genes need to be turned on and turned off, you know, by different, um, basically triggers in our environments, you know, so... It's, it's not as easy as like, Oh, this is my genetic code and this is what's going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. Right now, Mm -hmm. in some cases, like if there's chromosomal damage or something like that, you know, there's obviously things that can happen from birth on that um, you're not changing because you have, uh, you know, sort of uh, something that's there from birth. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, For sure. I don't think that there's any significant data showing that um, inflammation is necessarily predetermined. Now, you can have genetic risk factors for diseases that involve the immune system. So for example, uh, people who who are allergic or what we call atopic or tend to have asthma, that can run in families, but Mm -hmm. there is no one set of genes that determines any of that. So, and we know for sure that, you know, you might have a family that has maybe three people with allergies and then two people without allergies. So yeah. who's to say, you know, what's responsible for that? And we do know for sure that there's environmental triggers, both for asthma, allergies, uh, and also autoimmune disease.
0: Yeah. So w- before we started recording, you mentioned that you started writing your book kind of in the spring of uh, 2020, which... um is very interesting time to start writing about the immune system. So um, how did COVID kind of change the conversation and understanding around our immune system, both in the medical community and generally?
1: Well, you know, I think in a huge, massive way. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, um, I I think prior to, to COVID showing up on the scene, Uh, most people walking and talking around, you know, didn't give, really think about their immune system at all. I mean, you know, once in a while they might be, Oh, you know, I have a cold or, you know, I heard I can do this to boost my immune system during flu season or whatever. Um, and even for physicians, I mean, I mean, I can't speak for the whole medical community, but I wouldn't say that this was something that was, you know, on everyone's the tip of everyone's tongue. But I think for, um, Covid was, or you know, really any of these these you know viruses that are popping up, but it it instigated right. It like lit the fire underneath us all to say, okay, whoa, you know, yeah. this is this is something we need to pay attention to. And I mean, because this is the first time since you know the influenza, so-called Spanish flu back at the turn of the century, that there's been a worldwide pandemic. I mean, there have been episodes of breakouts of, um, I mean, with the exception of HIV AIDS, um, which is a little bit different, but, Mm -hmm. you know, even the previous SARS, uh, Ebola, all the outbreaks, uh, the viral outbreaks, you know, they did not become pandemic viruses, they stayed where they were, and they were gone usually within a couple of months. So Mm -hmm. this is something that, has is like really unprecedented so you can't help but start paying attention
0: yeah for sure um so you go over that there are four different immunotypes could Mm -hmm. you just talk briefly about what those um four are for those of us listening
1: sure and and to give uh, people a sense out there this was something that i created based out of what i see on a regular basis but also based off of some of the scientific stuff or the immunology that occurs yeah. at the cellular level, which um, is really important because a lot of people would come to me and say, "You know, hey, I have I have really bad allergies, but you know, I also have, you know, I also have, uh, you know, an autoimmune disease. Is mm-hmm. that is that possible? You know, and." and people get a little confused because they think like, well, you know, the immune system sort of one dimensional. And so, and then I would also have people ask me a lot about boosting their immune system. Yep. And so this book was really, um, I, I took a lot of the um, patients that I have um, who have different things going on, different symptoms, different diseases, et cetera. And then also the science underlying what is going on with someone who has Say autoimmune disease. What's going on at the cellular level? What are their actual immune cells doing? What are they telling each other? How are they behaving? Uh, And same for you know people who have um, you know chronic inflammation. Um, And really, what sort of came out of this was four rather distinct types. And there is overlap. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you took the quiz, but most people would take it. They will. They will find that they are somewhere usually straddling one or two types. Now, um, the, and these are all what I would call imbalanced immune types. If you are absolutely perfect and you have absolutely no not one illness or anything, you may find that you don't have any of these issues and, you know, hooray for you. But um, so the, the, the immunotypes came out as smoldering, And this is someone who tends to have a a lot of underlying chronic inflammation, which can come out as certain symptoms or um, certain diseases and also certain behaviors or lifestyle um, habits can contribute to a smoldering immunotype. Then there is the misguided. Uh, This is uh, basically someone who has a functioning immune system, but it is... um, Uh, attacking itself. So this is someone who has lost what we call immune tolerance. These people tend to have autoimmune disease and Mm. certain um, symptoms that go along with that. Hyperactive. um, Is there people who are what we call atopic. or allergic Uh, people who are having their immune system is, is reacting to things that are harmless and uh, generally outside of the body, not part of their own system. Um, And then weak and weak is, is what most people think of when they just get sick, right? You know, like I'm sick all the time or, um uh, I get frequent infections i can 't seem to clear, but also people who um, might have risk factors that put them in that place you know they had immune suppressive therapy, chemotherapy, they take steroids, anything that 's going to sort of impact our immune system and make it weaker so mm-hmm. um you know taking these four types there 's a lot of literature um as to how can we you know how can we bolster these types separately instead of just thinking as ev- of everyone needing to have a boost of their immune mm-hmm. system? So it's really about individualized balance.
0: Yeah, I love that. And, you know, and I think that that's um, not as common to find when you kind of take a more traditional approach to um your medical care. And, you know, my older brother is a doctor and he says the same thing about how he sees 50 patients a day He's with them for five minutes. And then he just prescribes and send them, sends them on their way. So to be able to take such an individualized approach for people can be super powerful. Um, And I know that these immunotypes help someone to identify with the next steps on what they can do to heal, and you do such a great job of breaking um, your action plan, so to speak, into the five different pillars of health, such as, you know, stress, sleep, gut health, environment, nutrition. Um, so someone would gain a lot of insight by reading all about that. But what, is, what are kind of those low hanging fruit action items people can do on more of a general basis to um, heal themselves and feel well um, and boost their immune system?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, obviously one way is if they do the, if they look and they can identify their immunotypes, there are certain immunotypes that actually uh, research shows um, are more susceptible to issues. So for example, a lot of people who have uh, allergies um, are very sensitive to environmental um, toxins and things like Mm -hmm. that. So that might be, that might actually exacerbate their symptoms even more. So Mm -hmm. that might lead them to say, okay, well, the first thing I'm going to do is focus on, you know, what I'm putting on my body and in my body in terms of toxins, like what, Mm -hmm. you know, what's my air quality like and uh, my water quality like and things like that. Um, And, um, and the same, like for the misguided, you know, focusing a lot more on uh, gut health, because we know a lot of, you know, most autoimmune disease, the trigger often occurs uh, with intestinal permeability. Mm -hmm. But even if you don't, if you haven't been able to do that, another way is to really look um, look at those five pillars and give yourself a little bit of a score as to where do you find that you have the biggest issue. So, for mm-hmm. example, sleep, right? Some of us are, I mean, even I have some clients that come in and say, oh, I'm a fantastic sleeper. You know, I get eight and a half hours of sleep a night. I never wake up. I don't. I wake up refreshed, I feel good. That is a rarity, I to mm-hmm. tell you. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. But they may say, oh, but I have chronic GI issues and I am so stressed and I hate my job and you know I'm constipated, blah, 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 blah. So that person is gonna have to focus on stress and stress mm-hmm. management and maybe more of their gut health. Um So, I think you can sort of give yourself a score for each of these pillars to identify Mm -hmm. what are the things that you feel like you need to work on first. Mm -hmm. Or you could take one attribute from each one and make that your first goal. Mm -hmm. Um, Give yourself, you know, 30 days to really hone in on improving your sleep. And then, you know, the next 30 days, you're going to meditate every day, right? Mm -hmm. So, you can do it that way too and just sort of bite off little bits at a time.
0: Yeah and that seems manageable. I mean, that seems Mm -hmm. doable. And I think it's those, um, you know, especially sleep and stress are almost stress more so than sleep, right? Cause you have this stress management as this wellness buzzword, if you will. But sometimes, you know, even for me personally, I can't even wrap my head around. I mean, I, and I meditate and I do yoga and, um, I try and connect to my breath at various points of the day but sometimes mm-hmm. it's almost as if like I still haven't attained what I'm looking to attain mm-hmm. um so what would be your you know advice in terms of distress management what do you practice um what do you relay to your patients
1: you know i think it's very individualized because mm-hmm. everyone's nervous system is unique in terms yes. of how reactive it is, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, some people are just born, not very reactive, they are sort of naturally calm. And a lot of it, that does have to do with genetics, right? Yeah. Or maybe with previous uh, history, trauma, how you were raised, what you were modeled, you know, how you modeled your uh, emotions, you know, so you you know, we come to adulthood, right, with a lot of baggage. Um, And then of course, some people do have more stressful events in their life. So, you know, and some people may not have as much of of an issue. So, but, you know, putting that all aside, um, it is... It's how we react to, it's how we allow our body to react to stressors rather than the stressors itself, because obviously we can't get rid of stressors. Like, you know, like right now, we've got Omicron, you know, going around the country and all of a sudden people's, you know, last minute Christmas plans are being, um, canceled, which is a huge stressor, right? Right. Um, so you can't really help that, but what you can do is sort of take a pause and this is where i think the whole changing your thoughts um or examining your thoughts and how they are creating emotions and feelings and really uh, i mean i'm not a therapist but this is really more in the realm of you know cognitive behavioral therapy yeah um which you know you can learn on your own you can you can have a therapist um you can read about it Uh, there's lots of different ways to sort of do this but i think that checking in with yourself, every time you get that feeling of adrenaline, that you feel like your thoughts are running away with your physical reaction, is to sort of pause, to stop. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's really important. Um, And then I think everyone does well with certain things in their life. Like I really, I do well with journaling. So for me, that works because it's writing something out, which you know they've shown that, that that sort of neural pathway between your brain and your hand and the, the act of writing can be um, very calming. Um, and I find that I feel better when I put stuff down on the page. Um, and that's something I can do every day. So for me, that works really well. I have other yeah. people who love to do tapping. Tapping really works for them. Um, so I think it's trying different things, giving it Giving it a mm-hmm. good college try, a few weeks, seeing if it gives you any benefit, because nothing is going to help overnight. And then once right. you feel like, oh, this is helping me a little bit, I'm not hundred percent sure. Then mm-hmm. stick with it for another thirty days and another mm-hmm. thirty days, right? Mm-hmm. So, because it's cumulative and it becomes a, a habit. I mean, you can't just do like meditate one day a week and expect it to give you tremendous benefit, because it it wears off and then you're back you're back in the hot seat again, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I want to touch on some of the other pillars, but that is a really good segue into kind of talking about, you know, with these lifestyle changes. I know when I was health coaching nine times out of 10, someone would come to me for an initial consult and they would tell me, I know what to do, but right. And a lot of the Mm -hmm. times as human beings, we can get in our own way. We create obstacles and barriers to change Mm -hmm. and You know, a lot of it does come back to habit formation, um, both in those positive, healthy habits and those habits that we've already established that might not be serving our health. So what have you seen with your patients um, in terms of people maybe getting in their own way and how do you motivate them to take steps towards change? Um, And what barriers do you see come up for people to change?
1: Oh, gosh, there's so many. This could be an entire podcast. Yeah, um, I know,
0: right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which well, I you think know it's the you...
0: stuff that people most need to hear, right? Because it I'm is. sure it resonates with it so is. many.
1: Well, first of all, I will tell you that it's a full-time job. And so I now have three health coaches that work with me because mm. the, it would be impossible for me to do that kind of work and then also be you know, interpreting labs and coming up with treatment plans, et cetera. But of course, I do what I can. Exactly. Um, and you know i think this works for a lot of people but identifying your why i think is very powerful um because you know Mm -hmm. when they've looked even at motivators of say like exercise you know or giving up alcohol or doing anything that might uh benefit your life but also has some detractors right (laughs) like Who wants to get out of bed at six o'clock and go to the gym because that's hard? Or who wants to say no to the cocktail um, you know, at dinner because you know you've had a rough day, or whatever. So I think identifying well, why is it that you want to do that or not do that behavior? What is it your goal in the end? And you have to make that goal or that reason so compelling that you are able to push through some hard times or you're able to push through some difficulty to to get there. Because if, you, if your why yeah. is not very good, like, you know, for some people who want to lose weight, a lot of people, they just, they want to look a certain way because they might want to impress someone or they want to look like someone else or whatever. And that's not a compelling reason. And that's why right. people fall off the, you know, the wagon all the time. Because, you yeah. know, once you get a look at a, Piece of chocolate cake. You're like, ah, forget it. I don't, I'm gonna have my chocolate cake. Yeah. So I think that you know, establishing that, and then also giving yourself little little mini goals, um, and you know, mini rewards, and you know, and making, making habits build upon themselves. And the other thing, and this is why I think health coaches are great. Um, but if you can't have one or don't have one is find an accountability partner. Mm. Um, a lot of research has looked at that specifically for exercise and nutrition or breaking habits, um, that having someone that you're accountable to and also someone that you can, you know, if you're going through a rough patch or you don't feel inspired, you can call them or contact them. And that, I think that's a, you know, when you're around people that support you, it's really a good thing.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the beautiful aspect of a coaching relationship because kind of just, you know, a lot of people know what to do, right. And it's just about having that accountability what I call an accountability buddy um, mm-hmm. <laughs> or a coach to kind of pull out of you what you already know and just kind of mm-hmm. create that motivation. And also for people to have compassion for themselves, knowing that as human beings, it's just natural for us to kind of take that immediate gratification over long-term results, if you will. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, but if people can kind of, what I like to say, play the whole tape and, um, really hone in on what those longer term benefits will be for you. It's more motivating to establish that why that you mentioned.
1: Yeah, Uh, absolutely.
0: So I want to talk about gut health a little bit. I know, again, this can be a very, um, dense subject. Um, but while I was reading your book, I kind of just always, I, I, went back to my childhood and how, um, I had some friends who were always sick all the time and they would go right to the antibiotics, right to prescribing the Z packs. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, and even now I've seen them in adulthood be sick all the time. So Mm -hmm. what, how is gut health kind of connected to your immune system and what can we do instead within a culture that is so quick to prescribe antibiotics?
1: Yeah. And hopefully that's changing. I know that when I was in practice, it was like a free, it was like, you know, people would give out antibiotics right and left. And Mm -hmm. hopefully we know a little bit more now about how damaging that is. But, you know, the, and part of it's because we know much more about our, our microbiome. So our microbiome or microbiota, depending on who you talk to, is really just a whole family of intestinal, I mean, we have have microbes everywhere in the body, but I'm talking specifically about the gut uh, biome. And Mm -hmm. there's trillions of organisms, even not just bacteria, there's yeast, there's viruses, there's all sorts of things down there, right? And they're there from the time that we're born and they change throughout life um, uh, due to different influences. But these are extremely important because they they mediate a lot of uh, communication between, um, you know, the inside of our GI tract and then our immune system, which lies just a lot of the cells lie uh, in this large area outside of the intestinal tract. Mm-hmm. But they even do more than that. I mean, they help us digest food. They help us convert vitamins and minerals. They help us with absorption. Um, they identify pathogens for us. They they create mucus and and uh, you know protect our gut. Um, they help create um, uh, certain kinds of molecules called fatty acids, um, short chain fatty acids, which actually feed our gut cells. And so it's really this symbiotic relationship. So the dangerous thing about antibiotics is that we developed antibiotics to kill pathogens, right? And when we first started developing them with penicillin being the first, it was a very narrow spectrum. And what I mean by that is that it was sort of designed to um, to kill a very narrow spectrum of bacteria. Um, but as we got better and better at making, uh, making these um, antibiotics, they became broader spectrum and broader spectrum. So you could wipe out literally multiple classes of bacteria with these p- very powerful antibiotics, so not only do you kill, say, the strep throat that you have or whatever you're trying to kill, the pneumonia, but you're also killing these really beneficial microbes. And so it's it's almost like it's like dropping an atom bomb and taking out all of these really important uh, creatures. And mm-hmm. what we're left with then is um, you know really, a lot of damage it also allows other pathogens to that maybe didn't get killed to take hold um, It changes how we digest our food, it can damage our gut lining it can inflame our our um, inflame the gut lining um, it can sort of activate our immune system so you really really want to avoid antibiotics if you don't need to take them
0: mm. for sure yeah. yeah. And there's definitely ways to support gut health, which is becoming more known in terms of, you know, those probiotics, prebiotics, um, all the things. And I want to talk, um, switch to kind of more of the nutrition pillar. And I know you're a fan of intermittent fasting and again, kind of a buzzword. Um, And I think so many people are doing or trying intermittent fasting because they've heard of the benefits for digestive health, metabolic health, but I think it's less known about autophagy. Um, And I love that you mentioned that. So can you talk a little bit more about what autophagy is and the connection to your immune health?
1: Sure. So you know, we um as humans were never meant to eat all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um we we are supposed to have like an eating window. Mm-hmm. Um and um most uh, many of us eat way too much, obviously just in terms of of um how much we eat, but we also eat too frequently and why this is not good is for a couple of different reasons is um it keeps our insulin high when we have um when we're eating all the time Mm -hmm. it tells our brain you know okay there's there's sugar coming in there's food coming in um and that's not beneficial but also every time we eat um it actually changes how our gi system works so we actually slow down our gastrointestinal tract But the other thing is that when we go for a period of time, when we get into a fasted state, it signals uh, a couple of very complex mechanisms to um, sort of recycle or clean up uh, many of our cells. Um, And some of this also happens when we sleep. But when we get into this autophagy, autophagy really just means self, uh, sort of Self eating, self recycling. Um, So it allows us to repair cells that really just need to be sort of cleaned up so that they become more efficient. And, you know, there's so much research now looking at how intermittent fasting um, can help with longevity. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know that in um, uh, cognitive decline, Uh, people who you know fast overnight at least for 14 hours sometimes 15 hours uh, can have significant improvements in cognition over time Uh, Mm -hmm. they use it in some of the um, the work um, uh, on Alzheimer's disease so you know I think that if you think of you know a fasting period as actually a very useful time. It's not just like, oh, I'm starving, and my body's starving. No, your body's actually like, oh, thank God, they're giving us a break. We can we can sort of stop for a while, and we can start doing some, you know, we can like clean up the house a little bit. Um, and so, you know, I'm a big fan of it. I mean, people call it different things, timed eating, uh, intermittent fasting, um, But I think it's a good thing for everyone to try to, at absolute minimum, do not eat for 12 hours a day. And that's usually overnight, that would be the absolute minimum. And then you can always try to do 13 or 14 hours. Um, And this would be for adults. If we're able to um, stop uh, bringing calories in or just fasting, uh, you know, whether it's during the day or at night, it signals um, that the body can go into this state or at least, you know, in certain cells um, of autophagy, which is again, it's a sort of a recycling. And it's just really, really helpful over over time to be able to do this on a daily basis. And then in some cases for people to go for longer periods of fasting. Mm -hmm.
0: What would be kind of your minimum fasting window you would recommend to people?
1: Yeah, well, first of all is, you know, some people who eat constantly or who eat at night or after dinner, you first want to go for 12 hours. Mm. That's the Mm. absolute minimum. So let's just say that you absolutely stop eating at 7 PM and you do not eat anything before 7 AM. That would be the Mm -hmm. first. And um, we also recommend that people don't eat for three hours before bed Mm -hmm. so that you sort of go into sleep um, in a fasted state. Um, And then I recommend if you feel comfortable with that, that you can add an hour, first to 13 hours, and then to 14 hours, we see a lot of benefit at 14 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, some people do play around with doing longer fasts and water fast. But I mean, I think for the general public is if you can get to doing 14 hours a night, um, that's really, that's really important.
0: Yeah. And I think that it just goes against so much of what people grew up to know about eating for health and metabolism and um you know the, the eating the six small meals a day um in order to keep your metabolism stoked and breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And, you know, I've, I started to tell my clients that it's not necessarily breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but especially, you know, kind of what I coach in from a nutritional perspective is rooted in blood sugar balance. And I, and Mm -hmm. I always tell people what you eat first is kind of the most important, especially if starting your day on a blood sugar balancing stabilized foot, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And just focusing on those macronutrients that create a minimal, um insulin spikes protein healthy fat um and there's just some unlearning that has to go there because of what has been kind of um propagated to us by mm-hmm. I, I think the cereal companies if you will
1: yeah um, you know it's funny we're so addicted to cereal and yeah. um you know eating sort of like grains and things and i don't have a problem with grains but um i think that for to start off your day with a bunch of fruit and a bunch of grains, as you said, is not going to set you up well, especially if you don't have great blood sugar balance or if you're not really um, doing a lot of uh, cardiovascular type of workouts, because right. that's just going to convert to you know to simple sugars and it's going to raise your blood glucose and it's going to make you feel really cranky and um, so it's really you know, getting that blood sugar balance back. And for that, you really do want to change those macronutrients and have more balanced ones in each meal.
0: Absolutely. Um, I could talk to you about that all day and that could be (laughs) a separate conversation, but there was something I really, I want to respect your time, but there was, um, I really wanted to talk to you kind of about more of this woo woo side of, um, Healthcare, wellness, if you will, um, because you know I think those traditional facets of health, such as nutrition and exercise and sleep, thank goodness, is becoming um, more prioritized. But what about those aspects that we might not think of as connected to health and longevity, especially? Mm-hmm. Um, those things like spirituality, finding joy, having purpose in your day, um, mm-hmm. what kind of have you found in your work to be connected to health and longevity?
1: Well, I think for sure that, you know, connectivity is probably one of the most important or Mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. So we know that, I mean, obviously there are some people that really love to be alone and love quiet time. Right. I mean, I love, I love that too. I'm more of an introvert. However, if I was never able to be with friends or family or meet, strangers or connect with the outside world, I would definitely not live very long. And, you know, this has been borne out through lots of different studies looking at, um, you know, the blue zones of the world where the people live the longest mm-hmm. and one of the largest contributors to longevity in those areas were the fact that these were tight communities that had a lot of, uh, connection, um, and, you know, we see this with loneliness, there's data on loneliness, there's data on people losing spouses, they, you know, they don't live as long after that. So there's a lot to that. Um, so being connected is extremely important. Yeah. And then I would say spirituality too, um, you know, that belief in that something is greater than yourself, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, you have something to wake up for every day um, that also is extremely important, um, for longevity. Um, and also I think for your immune system, you know, when you, when you are, when you are sad and when you are lonely, not, not that you have to be happy every day, like those are normal, you know, sadness is a normal emotion, but loneliness is not really an emotion. Loneliness is a state. And, Mm. um, and as humans, we are meant to be, We're like tribal people, right? We were meant to be with others and have um, societies and have communities and have families, and um, that's the way that we've actually evolved, and that's why we exist, right? We would never have been able to uh, sort of live on the planet for this long were we not able to to make these structures. So, um, you know, it's um, I think it's really important, and, and I guess that's one thing also that. Uh, a pandemic has shown us is that oh. being separated um, and not able to see our friends and family has increased anxiety and depression. And, um, and I think that's one of the reasons why people are so wanting to get back to, to sort of
0: normalcy of their life, you know? Absolutely. Um, so pulling this all together, I would be so curious to kind of hear about, you know, any breakthroughs for your patients that come to mind um, in kind of applying this holistic approach to health and immunity?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the first things we um, work with with our patients, obviously, so we put them through a series of testing, and, and one of the most important things we do is we really look at their gut biome. Mm-hmm. And we see a lot, even when people don't have necessarily complaints that their digestion is off, uh, but they might have arthritis, for example. Uh, so, you know, someone comes to mind recently who uh, was about to retire and um, had worked in a pretty stressful job for, you know, 40 years or something, and was about to retire and she had been diagnosed with some sort of rheumatologic disorder, but nobody could tell her exactly what it was. Some people thought it was psoriasis. Some people thought it was rheumatoid arthritis, but her just joints just ached and her Mm -hmm. feet hurt and everything. And, um, you know, so, you know, we, we, we saw some issues with her gut. We started working on that, um, And we also saw she had this very high marker of inflammation called C-reactive protein, which I talk a lot about in the book, which is a pretty good marker for certain uh, types of what are called cytokines, inflammatory cytokines being very high. Um, And so we really just worked on her diet. We took out a lot of things that, um, that are known to be sort of inflammatory. We actually did some food sensitivity testing, but we got her blood sugar balanced Uh, and you know, the other thing is that she quit her job or she retired from her job and she started getting more regular sleep and she started to do, you know, to get out and and sort of walk a little bit more and be out in nature and her C-reactive protein dropped from something like 30 down to six, which is still elevated, but she was so shocked that just by working on these things for about three months. That not only did she feel so much better, um she was able to stop some of her medication. Mm. But this was something that you know no one was able to help her with before, and right. even the medication wasn't giving her that much relief. so and she really did it all herself, and she's really, really, really applied herself, which is I always tell people like this is hard work, and it takes yeah. a lot of your own you have to apply yourself because like I said, I don't give people magic bullets. I mean, mm-hmm. right, we, we, we give people recommendations, we might use certain supplements, but in the end, it's like, if you don't do the work, it's not gonna, it's not gonna help you. But yeah, so she's doing great and you know, she's enjoying her retirement. She's exercising more. Um, she feels like her energy's through the roof. I mean, she just is like in awe of how much better
0: she feels so. Yeah, and that's so powerful and so important for people to hear and how a lot of the times you really have to be an advocate of your own health. Um like you said, whether you kind of take a whether you the person that you have seen in the medical community might not be providing you the information that you need whether that's seeking out somebody else or actually you know, to your point, doing the work, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of these major lifestyle changes that need to occur. So, you know, for someone who wants to kind of, who, who might've resonated with that story and wants to be their own health advocate and take control of their health, what would be kind of your advice in terms of maybe finding a functional practitioner or the right tests to get stuff like that? Mm -hmm.
1: You know, I highly recommend working with a practitioner because, The testing is very hard to interpret mm-hmm. on your own. Yeah. I mean, I I am a you know, a physician who's worked in medicine for, you know, 20 plus years. And these tests are very biochemical. They um, they're very nuanced and you have to sort of know what you're doing. So, I know there's a lot of tests that are available to people and um, they buy them and they they read sort of the computer generated, um, recommendations and they, they do them and then they don't feel much better because it's not that simple. So I'm not a huge fan of that. I don't, I mean, I, I, I believe in everyone's ability to, to, for information, but I, I find that people get very frustrated. Um, so I would say find a practitioner that you trust. Um, and you know, depending on where you are, you can work with, there's a lot of integrative um, nutritionists, um, you know, there's health coaches. It really depends on what level you need. If you're looking mm-hmm. for someone who is um, a physician or then I would recommend either looking at um, the Institute for Functional Medicine database. They have a wonderful database. Um, depending on where you live, um, you can look up a uh, location. Find websites and, you know, sort of vet uh, practitioners to work with. Um, there's also um, A4M is another uh, good option to look at as well. Um, so really, you do wanna find someone who has some experience uh, because this can be very tricky and you want someone, if you're gonna spend the money to work with someone, you wanna work with someone who knows what they're doing. So yeah. that would be my recommendation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that and I will um, link that database in the show notes so people know where to go. Um, but before I ask my final question, where can people find you?
1: So they can find me a couple places if they just want to follow me online. Um, uh, I'm most active on Instagram at, um, the immunity MD. Mm-hmm. So they can check, uh, check me out there and, um, also go to our website, which is www.modacenter.com. Um, I see patients virtually in a few States. Um, but we also have some programs run by my nutritionist dietitian who's fantastic. Um, and she is able to work with clients in more States than I am. Uh, so, you know, we're able
0: to, uh, you know, see quite a few people that way. So, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I will again, link all those in the show notes. And, um, I know people will seek you out because just, So insightful and wealth of knowledge in the subject matter. So, um, and speaking of, you know, one of my final questions, and I love asking this question because, um, I imagine you are a continuous seeker of information, Mm -hmm. um, and you love to learn. So what are you currently interested in learning about or what has you excited these days?
1: Oh gosh. So many things. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, my, my learning is never done.
0: Um, yeah.
1: I, I think that's a, one of I life's make,
0: greatest gifts is to just be a continual student.
1: Yeah, I make a joke that I have to force myself to read fiction books because I'm always reading nonfiction. Um so I'm really actually quite fascinated with um with mold mm. and mold toxicity. Um, you know, being an allergist, I've you know learned about mold, but there's a lot I think that we don't know about um, mold toxicity. So that's an area I'm really interested in learning more and uh, about. Um, And then I think other areas, um, really, just a lot of environmental medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're living on a planet that's just getting more and more problematic with microplastics and and uh, pesticides, etc. So, really, understanding a little bit more about how that plays into disease. I mean. I wrote a, in my chapter about toxins. I mean that that could be volumes and volumes of a book, and I think for that sure it's something that changes on a regular basis. So um, that's another area that I'm I'm really fascinated by, um, you know, looking into so and learning from constantly.
0: Yeah, that's one that I need to do more learning on because I think it's. Um... I think it's so relevant to our lives but it's I know for me personally it's not one which I know I should give attention mm-hmm. to it but um I think it's almost kind of overwhelms me to the point of it just analysis mm-hmm. paralysis which yeah. you know sometimes those it's those subject matters that we need to learn about the most when, you know, you feel that way. So, um, well, thank you so much, Heather. This has been so great. And everyone needs to check out your book, the immunotype breakthrough. Um, I read it and I took the quiz and, um, I just already learned a lot about myself. So (laughs) I know others will as well. Yeah. And congrats again on your, um, on your launch and you have a wonderful rest of your day and rest of your 2021. And hopefully Will stay connected on the internet. Absolutely. Thank you
1: so much, Sarah. You have a great day. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the healthified podcast and hope you enjoyed this episode. If it resonated with you, please share it with a friend or rate and review the podcast, which helps us share the health with more people for further learning. Be sure to check out the linked resources in the show notes, and you can connect with us on Instagram at healthified and at gratified until next time.